0: Good morning again. If you have a copy of God's Word, uh, turn to Luke chapter 22. Uh, you can also probably find it somewhere on your phone. It will be on the screen as well. Uh, I want to say hey to everybody who's watching online. I have had and continue to have moments in my life that are crisis moments of faith. <clears throat> And I don't mean crisis like I'm going to leave Jesus, but I mean those big moments where you are wondering how things are going to turn out. And they usually, they aren't trivial things. They are big things. They're things like wondering about the safety of my wife and children, my family, like, are they going to be okay? Okay. And, you know, you have those little flash moments when, you know, you realize that everybody's scattered out there, traveling, driving, flying, whatever, and you're like, (gasps) is everybody going to be safe today? Other moments where it looks like things aren't working out. And I don't know if you have these kinds of prayers, and if you don't, I want to encourage you to have them. Jesus likes to actually have real conversations with you, but I have conversations with him sometimes where I say things like this, Lord, don't you dare. (laughs) Do you ever have that prayer? He can take it, I promise you. But it's part of growth, it's part of faith, it's part of how we move forward in our walk with Jesus. But it also brings up a question of how are you supposed to deal with crisis? Moments where you're worried about the outcome and what you're reading in here and what you have already stored up in your own walk with Jesus doesn't quite seem to be enough to get you through where you actually feel like if this happens, Lord, I don't know what I'll do or how I'll feel about you. I have those. Now, I'm not all the way there. I kind of feel like a freshman in college, in Jesus College, um, where it's the first semester and I'm like, got all the books and stuff. And then I've come home for Thanksgiving. And this is universal for college freshmen. They come home for Thanksgiving or the first break and they say, you know what? I know some things now. And uh, I just want you to know that I'm going to be thinking a little differently than how we did growing up. And I, because I'm in, I'm in college, and I know, so I totally was that way. I remember coming home being like, oh, I know something, you know. And so I feel like I'm a freshman in Jesus College when it comes to learning how to deal with crises. How do I make it through? But I think I'm starting to get it. Like, though I can see movement, like small movement, but movement in my heart. Today's story needs to be in your arsenal. And what do I mean? A weapon of choice when you face a crisis. When you get to one of those moments where you're like, Lord, don't you dare let this happen or this not happen, whatever it is. This needs to be one that you reach for like, oh my goodness, I feel it coming. I need to pull out this weapon. And you may say, what? Why do I need a weapon at all? We have an enemy and we don't need to be, you know, neutral or generic about who it is. The Bible defines him as Satan, the deceiver. And can I tell you something? As much as God has a plan for your life, so does he. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a deceiver. His goal is to keep you from Jesus. And as we've said before, he doesn't come out in a red costume with a pitchfork going, (sighs) He comes subtly and you'll deceive in a very small way, like getting you to doubt God's character in a moment of crisis. So today's story, the sword of the spirit is the one I want you to start. And this, I'll just say it. It has made an impact on me, this type of story. They're all over the place. But Luke 22, one to 23. If you have a Bible, one in in person or even on your app, what does it say? The little sub heading, the subtitle there. Somebody just say it out loud. The plot to kill Jesus. That's the one I want. So those titles are not divinely inspired. They're not like, that's the people at ESV headquarters or NIV headquarters saying, hmm, how can we help them know how to navigate through this? Same thing with chapter and verse, like the, all the addresses weren't there when they were written. It was just one big long scroll. So When it says the plot to kill Jesus, that is not exactly what I think is the perfect thing to say about this chapter. And I'll tell you what I mean. I think it needs some punctuation. I think it needs a bit of a change. And I think Jesus is okay with this because it's not, that part is not God's word, like, bah, God's word. It's just a subheading to help you navigate through the story. So what do I mean? Well, let's talk about punctuation for a minute. Important. Yes. Punctuation. Difficult. Yes. Where do commas go? I don't know. (laughs) Semicolons. I just don't use them ever. (laughs) And when I see them in writing and books, I think they don't know. They don't know if that should be a semicolon. Nobody knows what a semicolon should do. I just avoid semicolons altogether. Uh, Punctuation is important though. If you haven't ever seen this uh, statement played out, I'm gonna do it for you, you'll never forget it. Look at the first one. Let's eat, Grandma. That comma is very important. Look at the next one. Let's eat, Grandma! (laughs) You need the comma. It's very important. You can't just say that, Grandma's gonna be running. I wanna propose a punctuation mark here in the middle of this uninspired, not divine part of God's word. It needs a colon. The plot, colon, and that is the two dots to kill Jesus. Not the plot to kill Jesus, which implies look at what these bad people did. Look at the thing that they were cooking up in their dark corners and alleys. This is the plot To kill Jesus. I'm going to show you what I mean, but it should bring other questions. Who wrote the plot? Who are the characters? Who's the author and does he control the plot? Who's the hero? Who's the villain? Do they know this about themselves? Are we all just stuck in a play? Luke 22, verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. That's not a new phrase. Luke has used that so many times about the religious people. They're afraid of people. They're people pleasers. They don't care what God thinks. They care what the people think. Look at this one, though. Then Satan entered into Judas. You do not want that sentence ever said about you. Right? That's a big statement. Judas called Iscariot. Although, you almost could put although, who was still one of the disciples. He was a number of the 12. And because of this, he went away and he conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad about this. And they agreed on a price. They agreed to give him money. So he said, it's a deal. He consented, sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them when there wouldn't be a crowd around. Let's do it somewhere quiet where a lot of people won't know. So as a new believer in Jesus, and I came to Jesus when I was eight years old, but I would say over the course of several summer camps and retreats, I accepted Jesus maybe like eight times. I wasn't sure it took. And so somebody would give a great talk and I'd be all moved and emotional. Excuse me. And I'd come forward and be like, I want to accept Jesus. I've done it before, but I just want to make sure he's in there. So let's do it again. As a new believer, I remember one of the first things I thought about when somebody was saying, here's the story of how Jesus was crucified and stuff like this. There's these bad people. They crucified Jesus. And I remember thinking this, how could they do that? Who, why were they allowed to get away with this? If Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, he's hanging out with him for three years. Why didn't he say, Judas, I know what you're going to do in year one. Why did he wait to the last minute? In fact, the night. He didn't wait. He waited until the very night that Judas was going to pull this off to say, hey, by the way, I know what you're going to do. Jesus, just run, get away. How could you? And you even do these like hypotheticals. If I was there, I would say, we shouldn't kill him. He is, he's God. We shouldn't kill him. But I remember thinking that. And if you don't understand the punctuation in the Bible, you will miss the whole message. You will miss because guess what? What I was thinking as a new believer, that's not in there. That's, not, that's the wrong thing to think when you're watching Jesus be caught up in this grand scheme. And the reason is everything is happening exactly as it was planned, exactly. So the plot to kill Jesus is God's plot. It's his book. He's the author. He's the one who has written this story. We must begin to see Jesus' death as part of God's sovereign plan To save us, not as some amazing gesture of kindness, nor as something, oh, that's so tragic. How could that happen? That's awful. It was God and they killed him. Do we read John 3.16 like this? For God so loved the world that he was super kind, did some great miracles, helped a lot of people, loved them, but then he got killed. It was so tragic. Is that what John 3.16 says? No, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, which you read in between the lines, you look at the punctuation of all of scripture and you see that God so loved the world that he gave his son to be killed. God became killable, as Tim Keller says. This is happening because God is crafting a story. He is unfolding, turning the pages, counting down, ticking down to this moment. He is indeed the keeper of the eternal clock. Now that is, I don't know if I'm right grammatically, and if not, don't tell me. But eternal clock, I think, is an oxymoron. I think it's two words that shouldn't go together. Why? If it's eternal, it doesn't have a time frame. But this is part of the mystery of walking with Jesus in that we're all stuck in time. He's above time and space, but yet he is the keeper of all things that happen in time and outside of time and all things for all time and everything when there's no time, right? So back to my crisis moments, Lord, you better not do this. If this ticks down to this and this happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be super upset. How could you not see this coming? Think about that for a second. How could you not see this coming? The one who sees all things, who's not bound by time. If I had to describe the biggest change in my faith over the last five or six years, it would be centered around this clock, this eternal clock, the sovereignty of God, his absolute control to where I'm getting to a place where it's not that I don't have those moments. I do. Last week had some of those moments. Crisis moments like, oh, don't let this happen. Please, come on. How could you? But then I go and I pick up the sword, and I realize. okay, wait, Lord, you, you've got this, right? <laughs> do you ever do that? You have got this. I think that's, this is walking with Jesus, guys. This is walking with Jesus. It is, I am so confident, but not very much. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The eternal clock. My grandfather had a den that he used to hang out in. And my grandmother hung out in the living room. And she would sit there and it's like, I swear it's almost just cliche. She sat there and she crocheted blankets. And I remember because we used to put, lay there like our little toes through the holes in the crochet blanket. And she would say, don't put your toes through. We're like, well, why did you put the holes there in the first place? This thing doesn't really cover me anyway. She would sit there and it was so great to go to grandma and granddaddy's house because we got sugar cereal and we got to put our toes through the crochet blankets and it was just awesome. And then my grandfather was in the den and you walk over to this corner of the house and you step down one step into the den. And he had his chair, which I have that chair up in my office at home, and he would sit there and watch baseball and you go out and hang out with granddaddy. And I remember sitting there and I'd be like, I'm in the den watch. I want to go back and get sugar cereal from grandma. Stick <laughs> sit my toes through the crochet blanket, but we'd sit out there and he had a cuckoo clock and a cuckoo clock has to be wound. I, I, I was with some of our interns a few weeks ago and had a pocket watch that belonged to my grandfather. And I won't say the name, but one of our interns, we asked the question, how does this thing run? And like, I don't know, battery or something. I mean, is not how everything runs, battery it was fun to say, no, you actually can wind it and it will keep ticking. So he would go and it had chains and those like pine cone things that were weights that caused the thing to move. And he would go cranking every day, every day to make sure that the cuckoo clock had enough juice to keep ticking. But every once in a while, it would get a little off. And so he would open the glass cover to the face. And what would he do? Check his watch move the little hand just a little bit to keep it on time. He was the keeper of the clock. Did you know that God doesn't have to wind his clock? And that when it strikes a number, a time in history, it is right on time, it is perfect, and nothing can stop it. The clock is ticking. The mystery of the gospel is stunning, if you think about it. Think about God's sovereignty over just just what we read right there. The people that are involved. We got men involved. We've got Satan involved, which means there are demons. We have angels. Why do I know that? Because angels' job, one of them is to protect. If you think about it, they are guard. Whenever they're presented in scripture, they are these warrior-like messengers sent out to do God's will. And so at this moment, think about this. God, the father is speaking to them and those who have been protectors and guardians of truth and messengers and warriors for God for centuries. And they're not bound by time either. He has said, basically at this moment, when my son will be caught up in a plan to be killed, you will stand down. You will not help him. What? So demons, angels, men. God is absolutely in control. And the intensity of this story isn't confined to this chapter. It's being played out in this room right now. Every life in this room, this crazy, intense battle for your heart to know him is no less intense let me show you as this unfolds just in his first few verses. The feast of unleavened bread drew near. I want you to even think about the feast being a character in the story. It was like, yep, I'm coming. Here comes the feast. It is there on the nose, right when it's supposed to be there. How amazing. The Passover drew near. Imagine, it just so happened that the religious leadership, the Roman occupiers, and the close friends of Jesus, and the angels and demons all happened to line up where Jesus is about to give his life at the Jewish Passover. You may be like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, do we need to pull out Prince of Egypt and watch Moses again? Val Kilmer playing that and Patrick Stewart playing Pharaoh. What happened at the Passover? The Jews were to take a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb and do what with it? Kill it kill it, take the blood, wipe it over the doorposts of their house. And when the angel of the Lord came by, if saw the blood on the doorpost would pass over. They're showing faith. They are putting their, uh, we're going to do what you said, God. You're telling me that Jesus just so happens To be having this, on this night, Passover is lining up perfectly with when the Lamb of God is going to give his life. Huh? Imagine that. That it would line up perfectly to where you could say, no kidding, that's the, I see. Jesus, I am picking up what you're putting down. I'm getting it. I'm starting to get that this is a plot that's been unfolding from eternity past. Another oxymoron. Is this coincidence or is it planned? Planned. It's planned. Okay, so I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I have always been like there's certain things and I remember different things growing up that just caught my attention. And one of them was the JFK assassination. I was just fascinated by this whole thing. You know, of course, you're seeing the Zupruder film at school. You're trying to figure out what's going on. You knew there was Lee Harvey Oswald. You know, somebody shot him. There's conspiracy. And then it's like an iconic question in our culture, right? Who shot JFK? One of those things everybody's trying to figure out. And so I remember just being taken by this. And loving it, and sure enough, even Oliver Stone's provocative and kind of intense and crazy take on the whole story. I read Jim Garrison's book. He was one of the attorneys that actually brought a case, one of the only cases against um, in this, the JFK assassination. And there's one scene in particular that gets played out in that movie, JFK, which came out in 1991. And there's Donald Sutherland plays this character named Mr. X. Won't say his name because he's apparently a spy, but he knows stuff and he knows the real truth behind everything. And so he starts laying out the plan of all these coincidences and all this stuff and all these people were off duty, they were supposed to be on duty and how they should have never taken that curve, how there was not enough people on duty and all this stuff that he was usually in charge of. He happened to be in another country. And he says this one phrase that I cannot help but hearing when I read the Bible. He says this, nothing was left to chance. He could not be allowed to escape alive. When you read this story, when you think about God writing this plot, Jesus will not escape alive nothing will be left to chance. And so now it's like this really weird thing because I'll be having like this really sweet time with the Lord in my chair time. I'm reading the verse and all of a sudden I'll hear Donald Southern go, nothing could be left to chance. <laughs> so over and over when I'm reading them, I'm like, stop it. But that's how it's played out. This is what God is doing. But there's one caveat. Yes, God is writing this story, but the players in it, the actors are still responsible for their actions. Unlike a real, unlike a play or a movie where the actors go home and they live a different life, actions you take on this stage in this life will have consequences in the next. A gun fired on this stage, a betrayal kiss given in the garden, you will be called to account for when the lights come up and when the curtain is drawn on this life. That's how we are to see. So it's, it's this mystery that goes together. So let's look at the actions of the players involved. First, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking. Yes, God is writing the story, but they have their own free will and they are seeking to put him to death. Satan enters into Judas, called Iscariot. He goes away and he confers. He talks. Imagine all the stories we've read in Luke up to this point. At every one of them, Judas had this point of like, I wonder if I could, nope, not there. We got to wait. Okay. He's thinking, how can I betray Jesus? When he talks to them, he says they were glad. They agreed to give him money. He consents. He seeks an opportunity to turn him over. They're doing things. They are actively pursuing. And yet God is in control. Our actions, our accountability alongside the eternal clock of God. Tell me how it works. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that it is. I know that you'll never get rid of that tension until you stand before the Lord. Nothing that he sets out to do, including getting you in your heart, will be stopped. And yet you will also be held accountable and responsible for your decisions. The mystery of eternity is not that it's past or present. It just is. And Jesus is the lead in this play called Life on Earth. He's the lead. You know what our problem is? We think we're the lead. I am the lead in my own story. And Jesus says, actually, no. You read the Bible, it says he's the lead. Luke will continue to show us how. Look at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where? Should we go? Where will you have us prepared? He said to them, behold, I love this part. I love this part. I love that Jesus let this happen. I love that he didn't just like lead them to the place and say, hey, I've got this room. It's all ready. He actually has them go through this. I think that's amazing. Jesus says, when you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. I just love that the Lord does this kind of stuff. Follow him into the house. You know, they were going, what? A man carrying a jar of water? what? Doesn't say it's this guy. I know him. I've spoken with him. Nope. Just a man carrying a jug of water. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. They went and found it just as he had told them And they prepared the Passover. So first glance here, Luke is just giving you details, a descriptive information about time and place. It's the day of unleavened bread. And on that day, if you didn't know it, Passover lamb has to be sacrificed. Read that again. I think the Holy Spirit is giving us an easy way to see exactly what this is all about. The Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus is saying, you want it in bold? Here it is. The Passover lamb has to be sacrificed on your behalf. Holy Spirit's making it easy for us. This thing is gonna happen, but you're gonna have a part to play. Like a director behind the scenes, Jesus sends Peter and John onto the stage. Okay, go and prepare the Passover for us. Jesus has the ability to orchestrate things down to the minutiae, of a man carrying a jar of water. He's going to meet you, you follow him, and then you tell the master of the house. Well, tell him what? What are are our lines? So Peter and John, just imagine them possibly hesitant. It's a simple thing, but they're wondering, is this going to work? And please don't, you got to get out of this habit of reading the Bible where everybody's just like a robot. Go and prepare the Passover. Okay, what do we say to the guy? They're going and he says, hey, Say this. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover? You imagine the disciples saying, that's going to work. We just say that phrase and that's going to be the magic like thing that causes the guy to go, sure. Are you sure? What if he gets mad at us? He won't. He will show you a room. It'll have furniture. It'll be ready. So is Jesus just going to use Jedi mind tricks on the guy? Teacher, show us where the room is. Okay. This is the one. These aren't the droids you're looking for. No. No. That's not, what is he doing? The plot is being unfolded. So he's telling a story. It's his story. My first Bible class, I think it was fourth grade, Christian Academy of Knoxville, Knoxville, Tennessee. I'd been at a public school. I was, I was awful in public school. I was awful. I was in the principal's office. We had paddles back then. They used them on me for sure. So then I get to Christian school and I'm like, this is amazing. And I remember a history teacher Mr. Emery, and he he wasn't that great of a teacher, but I do remember this. He said, history is his story. Never forgotten it. History. (gasps) Oh my goodness. And it's like, I don't remember anything else from the class, but I remember that. (laughs) But it's his story. He's telling it. That's why this is working. That's why the guy is going to actually have a room. He's going to let you do it. So they went. And lo and behold, found it just as he had told them. I can't believe it. There's the guy. He's carrying water. <gasps> he just went into that house. Okay, I guess we're going. Their hearts are beating a little faster. What did he say to say? The teacher says, no, the teacher, you, hey, I'll do it. But they're, they're trying to play. It's exciting. And it's also scary. Everything he told them was as he had said. So then they prepared the Passover. They went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. One more time. They went and everything Jesus said was true, and then they acted in faith. What a sweet statement of what following Jesus looks like. We hear his words. He asks us to do something. We believe just enough to go check it out. Step of faith. Sure enough, he's correct. We see that everything has already been prepared for us. So we join him in what he's already doing. His good work prepared in advance for us to do. That sounds familiar because it is. Ephesians 2, 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So what does this simple moment about the already ready room say to us about our salvation and what should we do in response? Here it is, prepare what's been prepared. Act, because Jesus has already been there. He's already done. Follow the water jar guy. That's all I'm asking. Follow the water, water, guard, <laughs> water jar guy. Say this, do this. It's already been prepared for you. Step out in obedience. The room is ready. So it was a simple step of obedience for them. And it's a simple step for us. Jesus isn't asking for you to do everything. He's asking you to do everything. One thing, small step, what is that for you this week? What is your go and prepare thing that Jesus is asking? I'm not asking you to save the world. I'm asking you to just go into that room. I'm asking you just to follow that guy with the water jar. What is that for you? Last week, some of you took this step. We offered, wasn't a room, but it was a baptismal the PV hot tub on stage. And we said, some of you are supposed to get baptized today. And people sit there and like, you can just, you can see, actually, if you watch the room, and I do sometimes, like as soon as I like say something we're gonna do, watch people start shifting around and and they they do their arms like this and like, "Mm mm-mm, no, I'm not. And gradually though, the Holy Spirit is like, go and prepare the room, follow the guy, follow the water jar. And you argue, and the Holy Spirit says, do it anyway. And sure enough, when people get up here, and I don't know if you noticed that, this is a really sweet moment. Watching Pastor Joe do his thing, watching the look on people's faces when they go down under that water and come back up and the music's going, there's just a palpable sweetness of the Holy Spirit in the room. And the reason is this, because Jesus has already been there. He's already prepared it for you. So when people say, okay, I'll take a step of faith, he's already done it. It's already been accomplished. And so then you're just walking right into something that he's made happen. For some of you, it may be this, where you haven't made a decision. This is gonna be kind of our new (laughs) altar call. We're not gonna say, come to the front while we sing just as I am. We're going to say, go out there and make some noise for Jesus and hammer your name and the date of when you came to know him, if it's today or if it was in the past. And then publicly in front of people say, I know him, I am in Christ. That may be you, maybe a small step of faith. I can tell you he's ready. He's ready. He has made it possible. So last set of verses, and then we're going to come to the table Verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said this. He said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it. Gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And then quite a turn. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. The son of man goes, and if you haven't heard anything today, listen to this, as it has been determined. The son of man goes as it has been determined. And then here's the tension, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they left that church service saying, I wonder who's going to kill Jesus. Imagine that leaving church where you're thinking, I wonder who in this room will actually betray Jesus today. That's what they did. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life, when you finally get to do something you've been waiting for. As a kid, it was when, when is Christmas coming? I'm so excited about presents. I remember staying up all night thinking there were robbers downstairs taking my presents. I was so worried. I couldn't wait for it to get there because then I could keep that from happening. We used to get to go to my Uncle Walt's house to swim in the pool once a year. We didn't swim, get a lot of swimming. We were little, so it was like the biggest day. We swim like eight hours. Even like you get lunch and your mom's like, you can't swim because you ate. And you're like, I really think I'm fine. No, you'll drown if you eat after. It's like, I I just want to see somebody who has evidence for that one. But it was one of those things. You get older, then it's like graduation. You're waiting, 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 and graduation is here. And then I can't wait to go to college and all of a sudden you're in college. And then before you know it, another graduation's coming and can't wait to get married. Can't wait to have a baby. This is one of those moments for Jesus. As much as the son of God and his fully man part of him could experience waiting for something to happen, this is that moment for him. It says, when the hour came, Jesus probably had a look in his eyes that said, oh, can I tell you how long I've waited for this? Can I tell you how long I've waited for this moment? I'm so glad it's here. He said, I have, earnestly desired to have this meal with you right now. This is what I've been waiting for. Even though God is timeless, he allowed himself by becoming human to experience time. So think about it. He had to wait for things just like you. He experienced the passing of time just like you. He saw how it affected his father, Joseph, earthly father? He died. Joseph's just gone at this point. We don't know what happened. He died. Jesus watched time take his earthly father. Jesus grew over time and got old over time. Isn't that weird to think about? And you may think, well, he's only 33. Yeah, but 33 at this point, people died in their 40s. So 33 is like golden years. He's, He's starting to feel it. Most of us who enter our 30s, and then realize we can no longer handle a Taco Bell 12 pack on our own. That is a shocker. And that is very disturbing and it bothers me. And you're like, I don't wanna think about fat and gluten and carbs and I wanna, I like tacos, right? But your body goes, eh, time, metabolism, mm. And you're, you're feeling it. And then your body says, well, if you don't listen to me, then I'll try other ways to get your attention. And it does. And we think this is stupid, but it happens. Jesus was feeling it. That's what, I, that's what I hear here. When he gets to this point, I just hear him saying, oh, he's feeling it. He knows what it's like to live in a body that has a clock that's ticking down. But he submits himself to it. He lets it happen. Picture him sitting down at this table, looking around the room, closing his eyes and just taking a deep breath. It's finally here. Everyone just take a deep breath. The reason he's excited about this moment finally being here has a lot to do with what it means for you. He's taking a deep breath because he wants you to breathe gospel air. He wants you to breathe the life that he can offer Nothing left to chance so that you would be allowed to take a deep, eternal breath. How striking that at the most sacred moment, he is also serving his would-be traitor. Judas, right there, knowing what he's going to do. Holiness, calmly and deliberately sitting with darkness and treachery. This is Jesus. This is the story unfolding. It will happen. It's going to happen And I love that the Lord does this sometimes where the story actually lines up with what we had planned for today. He does that often, but our communion is always the first Sunday of the month and this passage lined up with the first Sunday of the month. So I'm gonna have our servers come forward and our worship team and we're gonna finish up the last few verses because they are the communion passages, but I'm gonna read a couple of other ones first. Now listen, I know when somebody starts doing something somebody coughs or a baby makes a noise. Everybody's like, what's happening? And nobody can, nobody can focus anymore. Nobody, everybody loses the ability to multitask at that moment, right? So there are people moving around. They're coming, they're coming right now. They're coming right now. They have trays. What are we going to do? We're not going to be able to listen anymore, right? I want you to try. I want you to try when the tray comes, don't look at it, just grab it. You are so good at this. You're a human being. You can multitask and listen. All right. I know you drive and look at your phone. Stop it. But I know you can do this this morning. Okay. So they're going to pass. And I want to read a verse from John 13. This is John's take on this moment. So same time period before the feast of the Passover. Hey, familiar. We know that part. Listen to this. Don't look at the tray. I'm going to kill you. Listen. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't say that. Does I say that out loud? Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Here we go. When Jesus knew, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, so excited this moment's here. Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things. What else did he know? He knew he had come from God. What else did he know? He knew he was going back to God. In that moment, he got up and started serving. When Jesus knew that the hour was upon him, when he knew that the father had placed all things in his hand, when he knew that he had come from God, he knew that he was going back to God. What does that tell me? I know the story, I know the plot, I know how this thing ends. Then he got up and he served. When he knew the father had placed all things in his hands, when he knew where he had come from and that he was going back to there and he could see the table. He can see the table in the future, guys. Where we're going, then he got up to serve. He was despised and rejected by people, men, us. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. As one from whom men hide their faces. That's code for he looked so bad, nobody even wanted to look at him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet according to the plot, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But we didn't know the plot, we just thought he was stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But according to the plot, He was pierced for our transgressions. According to the story written down in eternity past, he was crushed for our iniquities. According to the plot, upon him was our punishment and it would bring us peace. And then here's that tension. And with his wounds, we are healed. If there's a choice, isn't there? This one is for certain, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So with the gravity and the weight of the moment, feeling what he was feeling, understanding what he was understanding, remembering, if you can remember eternity past, those who are bound by time can't, but Jesus isn't. Yeah, he remembers with the Trinity when the plans were drawn up, when the plot was written down. So he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, and I love this, finally, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. He also took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood let's partake together this next verse is not usually read during a communion time at service but i'm going to read it because it's right here and it happened so in the sacredness of this moment in the free gift of god the gospel being laid out he's about to give his life he says Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is right here at this table. He's sitting in our midst. He's not outside lurking in the shadows. He's right here. He hears the same thing you hear. He knows the truth. He's been with us for three years as well. For the Son of Man, if you do one thing today, here it is, goes as it has been determined. He's not caught up in anybody's trap. It's his own plan. What did he say to Pilate? Pilate said, don't you know I could let you go? Jesus says, "Uh, yeah, you don't have that authority. I lay down my own life. It's my choice. You're on a string, Pilate. You're in my story, buddy. We wrote this thing a long time ago. Judah's choice in this moment is actually our choice. Break the body of Jesus, be a part of that, which by the way, we all are. So you can stay there or receive his broken body. Spill the blood of Jesus by our sins, by our fallenness on him on the cross. That's what Isaiah said, already the case. or be healed by it. That's our choice today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this grand story. Lord, thank you that we are caught up in it. Um, Lord, I uh, thank you that you own the theater. You wrote the play. You're directing the play. You star in the play. Someday there will be awards given, I'm sure, for best story ever but our part is still happening. And Lord, we, we wanna be your children, your sons and daughters, Lord, and you've made a way for us. And so we ask God that as we consider this story, that we would find our place in it and respond in obedience uh, with grace and courage. Amen.